Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 167. Today, we are talking about our March book club pick, Mira Jacobs' Good Talk. Before we get started with that, we wanted to remind you that we are putting a ton of content out on unabridgedpod.com. We have blog posts almost every day coming out, and you can sign up on the website to get notifications when we post. So definitely go and check out unabridgedpod.com and look at all of that content we're curating for you. Before we get started with our discussion on Good Talk, we are going to start with our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading today? So one of the books that I'm reading is Robert Jones Jr.'s The Prophets. I am listening to this on audio thanks to Libro FM. And this is set in the Deep South on a plantation that uses slaves. And it explores the perspectives of a lot of the people who are enslaved on the plantation and also the slave owners. And it is a fascinating story. The prose is really lyrical. And the central story is about Samuel and Isaiah. And they are, they have grown up together. They are in love. And yet they have a complicated relationship. And each of them has a very different response to slavery and to realize, to recognizing that they are going to spend their life in slavery. And so Samuel is his rage is really outward. He is always on the cusp of losing control in some ways. I mean, he also is very good at masking his emotions, but whereas Isaiah is always looking for the joy in every situation and has a very different disposition, and yet they have a very great partnership. And so you're seeing that at the center, but there's also a lot of other stories of a lot of the other people on the plantation that you are experiencing as well. And they make the situation for Isaiah and Samuel a lot more complicated. And one of the things I find really fascinating early on is the character Amos. He's not as big of a character, and yet he is interested in spreading Christianity. And he's doing it in a lot of ways to leverage his own power on the plantation. And he also is looking to exploit and kind of corrupt the relationship that Samuel and Isaiah have largely to leverage his own power. And so it's a lot about power dynamics and how those play out for everyone on the plantation. And I think that part is really fascinating, but I I have heard really great reviews of this one and I can certainly see why it's getting such acclaim. It is a masterpiece in many ways and has a deep dive into a lot of different people's perspectives on a plantation. So again, that's Robert Jones Jr.'s The Prophets. And Jen is reading that one as well. Yeah, I am really looking forward to the discussion. I think there's so much to dig into. It's brilliant. And I'm veered. I started with the ebook and then switched to the audio and both have been great experiences. So 
It's awesome. What are you reading today, Jen, besides the prophets? <laughs> <laughs> I am reading Henna Han's Ominous Song. And this is a sequel to a book that Ashley talked about on the podcast earlier that she loved. So I wanted to read Ominous Voice. And then I saw that Ominous Song was available on NetGalley. So I requested that and then went back and read Ominous Voice, which I also loved. And I just think this one is such a great follow-up. So Amina is a middle school girl. She is, at the beginning of Ominous Song, she is in Pakistan with her family, visiting her dad's brother and his family. And that is the first time in a long time that she's been there since she was very tiny and she is just having the best experience. Her cousin is an older girl and Amina just really looks up to her and loves her so much and loves learning about the culture of the place. She talks about being nervous because she had heard so many stories about what the country was like. And so that is something that I think the book deals with really well is how sometimes the news stories that we hear about different places, that that's all you think of. So her cousin Zora is scared to come to the United States because of all of the news stories that she's heard about the U.S., about school shootings and about violence and about guns. And Amina is talking about the fear that she had before they her family traveled. So that right from right out the gate is just this amazing conversation that I think is getting at something really important. And yet it's handled in a way that is very accessible to middle schoolers. I think that's one of the things that I've been impressed about most is that Han is addressing these issues that we need to talk about in a way that is approachable and engaging for kids. So it does not feel like after school special cheesy. It does not feel like, and the lesson is, blah. It is instead this, this girl who wants to do the right thing, who is trying to figure out the world, who wants to share what she loves about her culture and her religion and her country of origin with her classmates when she gets back to the U.S. and is just trying to figure out the best way to do that while she's still working through all of those things, too. So I just I love it so much. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, that is Henna Han's Ominous Song. And again, it's the sequel to Ominous Voice. And I think you could read it on its own, but you shouldn't. You should just read both because they're short and they're fast reads, <laughs> but they are so, so good. And you will just love the character of Amina. Awesome. I really want to read both of those. Oh my gosh, Sarah, you're going to love them. I've been so interested ever since Ashley talked about it and wrote her review. So I definitely, you know, I like middle grade anyway. So Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to read both of those. Yeah. And I'm excited to read her more to the story. That's the one I'm thinking about doing for a retelling of the classic. So I I plan to read all the things that she writes. (laughs) I wanted to mention that one too, because if you're doing our reading challenge, it's a great fit for that. Sarah, what are you reading? So I am reading Sal and Gabby Break the Universe by Carlos Hernandez. And this is the story about Sal, who is a middle schooler. He's an aspiring magician. And he has recently moved to Miami with his dad, who is a calamity physicist and scientist. And his stepmother, who he only calls American Stepmom throughout the whole book. (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't know what, I think her name was Lucy because her dad, his dad just said her name in dialogue. So they've moved to Miami and he is, well, he has just started this new school, which is a performing arts school. So it's really 
it's a great school. Like they have all these really awesome programs for like visual arts and dance. And of course, like he wants to be a magician and it's just this great environment. He also has this interesting capability of being able to <laughs> visit the multiverse and pull <laughs> things out of other realms that he, that he wants and or needs and sometimes for his magic. So <laughs> I can see how that's a very impressive magic trick. Yes. yes. So it is, I, I don't want to give away too much because it is just, it is really funny. The family unit is just so amazing. And the school that he goes to, I mean, as a teacher, it sounds like a school that any teacher would want to teach at and any student would want to go to. So it's like this utopian type of school when I, when I read about it and the teachers are all just really eclectic and have these really awesome personalities and it's just, it's really funny, but it's also heartfelt and I am just loving it. And I have to thank Jen for even bringing it to my attention. It is one of the Rick Riordan presents books that he does for his imprint that he's created. And it is phenomenal so far. I really highly recommend it. I really want my son to read it. I think he will like it because it there's some irreverence in it, but it's very mild and it's just great. So I highly recommend it. I'm about halfway through, so I'm looking forward to finishing it. And it is great on audio. I have both the physical copy and I'm listening it to listening to it on audio, but I really am enjoying the audio book. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about those. I just love those books from his imprint, from Riordan's imprint so much. And I love what he's doing to support own voices, authors, and to bring those stories it, yeah, into publishing, I think mm -hmm. is so cool. Yeah, it's, it's this one is excellent. I'm curious to see, I haven't, like I said, I haven't gotten to the end, but I'm curious to see if it'll be a series because I could definitely see where it would be Sal, who is the main character, is just a really likable, unique character. So I could see where you could get him in a lot of different <laughs> situations and it would be really, really great, so... All right. Well, we are going to get to our main discussion. Again, we are discussing Mira Jacobs' Good Talk. And I'm just going to read a, a quick summary from the publisher because it is well documented that I am not a great reader of read aloud person, nor am I a great summary writer. So <laughs> that being said, buckle up. <laughs> so this is from the publisher. A bold, wry, and intimate graphic memoir about American identity, interracial families, and the realities that divide us from the acclaimed author of The Sleepwalker's Guide to Dancing. Like many six-year-olds, Mira Jacobs, half-Jewish, half-Indian son, Z, has questions about everything. At first, they are innocuous enough, but as tensions from the 2016 election spread from the media into her own family, they become much, much more complicated. Trying to answer him honestly, Mira has to think back to where she's gotten her own answers, her most formative conversations about race, color, sexuality, and of course, love. Written with humor and vulnerability, this deeply relatable graphic novel is a love letter to the art of conversation and to the hope that hovers in our most difficult questions. That was great, friend. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> That's like the first time in three years. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to start the way we do all of our book club episodes. We're going to talk first about our just our overall impressions about this book. Jen, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I, I absolutely loved every single page of this book. And I had, I will call it highly anticipated. So I have wanted to read it. Ashley has talked about it multiple, multiple times. And I had listened to Mira Jacob on an episode of so many damn books. And I really liked the way she talked about her methods in putting this together. I think it's tough to describe the art until you see it on the page. It's kind of these cutouts layered over art and photographs. It's It looks so beautiful and it's so striking and interesting the way she chose to put it together. But I think I just loved every conversation that happens in the book and the fact that she and Z and she and her husband and she and her in-law, everybody is just trying to work toward a better understanding. And these are really hard questions. And I think I found it so identifiable to just consider how people's choices make us feel about them and how she then is going to act to them in return. I know that's really abstract and I'm trying to save something for what worked for us. Cause I always go too in depth in this overall impressions part. And then I'm like, Oh no, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> but I just, I just really loved it. I think I need to read it again because I felt like it was one of those books that I couldn't absorb fully the first time. But I also upon finishing it went immediately to my husband and told him he needs to read it because I think, yeah, she just does a great job of addressing some of the issues that I think are the issues at the forefront of our world right now in a really approachable and thought-provoking way. So I loved it. I'll say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, how about you? Well, it is no secret that this one is one of my most favorite books, and I have been actively trying to get Jen and Sarah to read it since I read it and declared it one of my favorites in 2019. So I'm very excited to be having this discussion <laughs> and could not love it more. I think a lot of what Jen said resonates, and I can be more specific as we go along, but I think I appreciate that Mira Jacob has such a powerful way of examining herself and always thinking about how she can do better. And I think that is just, mm -hmm. I really admire her for that. I admire it in the book. I admire it on her social media. I think that we see how, even though she articulates so clearly the frustrations that she has with the limitations of others and the ways that people choose things that hurt us in who they, I mean, certainly it all comes out with the election for Trump that she examines all of that and does not look away, but she mm -hmm. also never stops thinking about how she can be a better person. And I think that's really hard to do. And mm -hmm. something that I certainly can keep working on in my life, but that's just what I really, that's what really struck me in the first reading of the book and in reading it again. I think that there are a lot of things I love about the way that she shows things as they are through conversation and exactly how it's described as a memoir and conversation and looking back at these conversations that she's had with all these different people. But at the center of that is her as a person looking to make sense of the world around her and also her place in it. 
And I just think that's, I think that's amazing. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I love it. All the stars. What about (laughs) you, Sarah? What was your overall impression? Well, I don't really have too much to add to both of your glowing (laughs) endorsements because I also loved it. I texted both Ashley and Jen when I was about halfway through and then when I was finished. And I, I mean, I just loved it. I thought, I just found it very impactful. I found the way that she used the graphic elements in the book to be just, and the choices she made just to be very unique and I mean, they just really were impactful. And I liked that she kind of along the lines of what you were saying, Ashley, I liked the way that she examined how other people were making choices, which affected her the way that she felt as a person. But I also like that she went back and examined some of her actions and understood that she had made some mistakes. I mean, you know, she she acknowledged her own mistakes or her own growing at when she was younger and some of the things that she did that were not unsimilar to some of the things that she was dealing with throughout her life. So I just, I thought it was really complex. And I think that she was able to, in very few words, really relay a whole lot of joy and pain and thoughts in a really concise and beautiful way. So Mm -hmm. I I also, all the stars for me and I loved it. (laughs) So this is one you got to go get and read. I have a feeling I can predict our bookish hearts. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to what worked for us. And in an effort not to just keep gushing about every single thing, because I think we can all acknowledge that we unequivocally loved it. Let's each just talk about one specific thing that re- we really thought was impactful or because it all, and I think it all worked for us. And I think it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to not want to talk about it all. So let's just talk about one thing that we just really, really stood out to us. Ashley, do you want to start? Sure. So I will just focus on a scene that I thought was really impactful. And one section that really stood out to me was when she went for the bark mitzvah for her her in-laws and where she accounts how she arrives She's pregnant with Z. Her mother-in-law is still dressing. And so people are arriving and she is greeting them. And then as the party progresses, it becomes more and more apparent to her that people believe that she is the help. And so it is, I just think that was one of many times that she does such a great job through the images and just a few words of showing the microaggression that's happening Mm -hmm. and how it's impacting her. And then when she tries to tell someone about it, how dismissive they are. And so I loved all of that. And then how victorious she felt (laughs) when someone did the thing. She turns to Barb, who is the friend of her mother-in-law. She told that, you know, she'd explained the situation to her. And then she turns to her to be like, see. (laughs) And it was both hilarious because you could really understand how much of a victory it is to be like, I told you so, but then how devastating it is both to feel that you had to prove it and for it to be happening. And so I thought all of that was really rich. And I also loved the follow-up conversation with her mother-in-law. And I think that seeing that play out on the page where they're laying on the bed and they're looking at the fan and working through that and finding that there are no easy answers and 
I think all of that is just really remarkable. And again, I think that that is just one time that she does that. I think she's able to do it over and over again in a way that illuminates to the reader what those situations can feel like. Mm-hmm. And also, fact check, we found out that it's Paula is the person whose name it is. Jen, what is one thing that really that you that really stood out to you? So I really appreciated the way she was navigating having these conversations with Z, because I think I have very much been in that place since the year that she is writing about since 2016 of talking to my kids about things that are happening in our country and of balancing, like, I want them to understand. I want them to know what is happening. I don't want to scare them unnecessarily. I want to have them thinking about what people are going through or what people are saying. I don't want them to go and get into a fight at school. (laughs) Not that I think my kids would fight, but I don't want them to go and get in a conflict at school with someone. But I also want them to stand up for what is right and for people who are not being treated in the right way. And my kids are older than Z is in this book. So I feel as if they are hearing these conversations. So I have a middle schooler and an, an upper elementary schooler And I know they are coming home and having talking about these political conversations that are happening all around them with their classmates who often believe very differently from what we do about not just about politics, but about a lot of social justice issues that my husband and I have strong beliefs about that we all do. And I think it can be really tough to talk to your kids about how they handle feeling like someone else is wrong and how do you stand up for people How do you not pick fights? I mean, my younger son in particular is a very right and wrong thinker. And if he thinks somebody has done something wrong, he wants to go up and tell them immediately. And I appreciate that about him, but also I want him to be careful. So I just thought her working through on her own with her husband, with her friends, when we don't understand these issues, when we don't understand why people are so ugly to each other, when we don't understand why people lie and make up things to support their political agendas. How do we then talk to our kids about that, about why it's happening? And when we feel helpless about some of those things, how do we talk to our kids about how we can be advocates and how we can work toward the right thing when I don't know those answers? So I just thought her vulnerability in all of those conversations was so resonant And Ashley, like you said, in that conversation with her mother-in-law, there were no easy answers. There are no easy answers for any of these questions. And sometimes it's just nice to see that there are other people working through the same things, maybe from different points of view, from different lives, from different, you know, she lives in a big city and it, but just that we're all trying to work through what is the right thing together. Yeah, I really appreciated those conversations because I, my child, that is my oldest child. I mean, that <laughs> Jen Sir know that from the moment she could talk and kind of before she was asking every question and every child is curious. I understand that, you know, children are curious, but there are children who will ask every single, she will ask 555 questions to drill down to what she wants to know. And we see that happening with Z and how she tries, Mira tries to give these more general answers and then that's never sufficient. And so he keeps following up because the answer does not 
suit it doesn't Mm -hmm. satisfy his desire to understand because like you said jen there is no way to understand some of it and so then you're finding yourself unable to explain because you can't explain a perspective that frankly has no defense for Mm -hmm. one of us and so then it's hard to work through that with a child and we really struggled with that with the election and and this this past election and trying to say, not all people who vote this way are bad people. Not all people who do this thing are bad people. And because we started to see that our children were making these sweeping generalizations that we didn't think we were affirming, but then we saw it happening in their brains that they were drawing these conclusions that are hard to work through. And like you said, Jen, I mean, I think a lot of times kids are not alone in this, but they want to put something in a box. They want to say it goes here or it goes here. And it's in their, you know, it's in their mind to want to sort things. And then when they can't sort them, that's, that can be really confusing. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, I realized I started that part in a really abstract way, but it is that, yeah, sometimes I think I try to do that with the boys and I just need to name the thing or name the person. And but my whole life, I've been taught not to do that, or I felt like I shouldn't do that. And so I'm still struck. That is something I'm still working on. Sometimes we just have to name it yeah. because that is what it is. And to call it anything different is false. That's what I loved that with Jed. When, when Jed says about his parents, he says mm-hmm. they believe that they think he's not a racist. And Z says, so he's not a racist. And he says he is a racist. I mean, it's that right. thing of like, it's really hard because you're talking about people's beliefs, but then there are facts and then mm-hmm. sometimes facts and beliefs disagree. And so then that's, that can be so hard, not just for us to work through as adults, but definitely to navigate with kids. Sarah, what worked for you? Oh gosh, it was so hard to pick just one thing, but I think one of the scenes in the book that really made me think a lot was when, she, when Mira was hired and I'm using that in quotes by Brie to help her write her book. And I mean, I was, it was shocking, but also not shocking. And then I said, then in my mind, I'm like, how can this not be shocking? All the presumptions this woman is making about Mm -hmm. Mira. uh, I mean, about the fact that she, (laughs) that she doesn't have a place to live and that she can stay. It was just all of this really like presumptuous. I mean, frankly, racist, profiling type thing that this woman is doing. And then plus wanting her to write a book for her and then having, I don't know. With no content. With no content. (laughs) I mean, when she brings home the box and shows Jed what is in the box. And it's like, I love that. Like I said, the graphic representation of all of that stuff, the way that she does it. I mean, it is horrifying, but it is also comical Mm -hmm. that she's like, I've done all this research and it's, it's five magazines, (laughs) one photocopy of a painting and a founding father's (laughs) book. And it's (laughs) And so basically the woman once says that her family was part of one of the founding families of America and she wants to write this book yet she has nothing except that box that she gives Mira. And then she is really, really kind of nasty to Mira about what she's writing. And she, you know, anyway, she just, she's just awful. But then, I mean, I think that that moment where Mira shows Bree's humanity and that she has lost a child, she is trying to compensate with her husband to show that she can do something 
you know, something that matters. And I, I just thought that was because you throughout that whole scene, you feel really angry at this woman who is making all of these radical assumptions about Mira as a person. But then at the end, Mira is so gracious. And even though she decides that she's not, I mean, she doesn't want to write the book, obviously, because she, it would be her book, not, not Breeze, but that, but she's also really so kind to her. And she, she feels, and she said that she didn't think about her. And then when she has Z, she go, kind of goes back to Brie and she understands that feeling of, the the horrifying feeling of possibly losing a child. And I just thought all oh, that was really beautiful. I thought that it really showed how much compassion Mira has. And like you said, Ashley, um, in the other segment that she is always questioning, but always trying to become an even better person. And I just, I really, that was just really impactful to me. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, would I be able to be that gracious with someone who has been so terrible to me. And I don't know what that answer is, but I, I just thought that was really impactful. Yeah. We are going to now each share a quote that we really liked and that stood out to us. So Jen, do you want to share yours first? Sure. So as is typical, I marked about a million quotes and I put about a million on the paper because I couldn't decide. And it was harder this time because I was reading on my Kindle Fire there, I couldn't figure out how to mark quotes on the Kindle Fire because it's a graphic memoir. So I was, I had my phone out taking pictures. So on my phone's camera roll, I have about 50 pictures of this book <laughs> with quotations that I thought were just brilliant. Because that's the thing. It is such a beautiful blending of the visual and the text that anyway. Okay. So the one I think I'm going to settle on is from page 20. So it's pretty early in the book. And it says, now every question Z asked made me realize the growing gap between the America I'd been raised to believe in and the one rising fast all around us. I kept thinking if I could go back in time and make sense of the things I'd been told growing up, I would be able to give Z better answers, maybe even find a way toward that better country. Soon, though, with news of the Black Lives Matter movement flooding our television and the rise of Donald Trump, I would have just as many questions as he did. And I think, first of all, that connects to what I was saying earlier about just the, the parenting side of it being so resonant for me. But I also think it's that search that she's going through to figure out how you develop a conception of what America is and when it falls short, what, what does that mean for that conception? I think I'm, I was just teaching Langston Hughes's poetry, and I think he has poems that do the same thing that talk about the greatness of America, but also acknowledge that it's never quite managed to be the ideal that we think it should be. So that ideal is there, but we've never actually reached it. And how do we reconcile that? And how do we reconcile, help our children get there without just becoming cynical and discouraged? You want to still be hopeful. And yet acknowledge the reality is there because that's the only way we fix problems is to acknowledge that we have them. So there, there's so much in there. And I feel like that's almost her mission statement for the book is that she is then going to go back to her own childhood and search up to the present day to try to find answers that she can share with her son. Okay. Yeah. I, I will stop there, even though there's another one I really want to talk about, <laughs> but I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Ashley, what's your quote? 
Yeah. So Sarah, the one that you, what you talked about with Brie, that part where she has that revelation and Brie's face is absent from the image. And she writes in about her realization years and years later that, you know, that encounter was not just that this person she couldn't identify with at all wasn't just like a, a party story, but that this was a real person who had this real pain. And I, I totally agree with what you said there, Sarah, that stood out with me from when I read it the first time also, because again, I just don't think I'm that gracious with people that I always consider them as a human, even though they might have all these things that clearly are worth critiquing. I mean, in this situation, she's clearly in the wrong, but Mira Jacob is still able to see beyond that. And I think that's really remarkable, but I wanted to share at the end when she's talking to Z And I'll just share a little part of that. But I thought that whole part was really, really powerful. But she says, here's the thing, though, the real true thing I still have trouble admitting. I can't protect you from everything. I can't protect you from becoming a brown man in America. I can't protect you from spending a lifetime caught between the beautiful dream of a diverse nation and the complicated reality of one. I can't even protect you from the simple fact that sometimes the people who love us will choose a world that doesn't. Even now, just writing that down, I want to say something that will make it okay or even make it make sense, but I can't. Will they ever really understand it themselves? Will they ever change? I have no idea. Our burden is how much we might love them anyway. And I think that part, again, is what she does so well in this, is she shows the the deep fractures that got brought to light throughout the election of Trump and the era. And I think that we really see she is able to show how their family can love each other and can still have this deep divide. And I think that resonates for people who have lived through that, that it's something that is really hard for us as a nation and also as individuals to work through. And I love how she is saying to him that she doesn't have these easy answers. And she goes on to share about how she continues to have hope. And I think that that is all just really remarkable. And so I loved that about the memoir that she works through some really, really hard things and yet maintains such a remarkable attitude, I think, about about hope for America and hope for her family. And I think that's really great. Yeah, that's a great yeah, one. Such a beautiful, oh my gosh. What about you, Sarah? What's your quote? So yours was just so precious, that precious quote with about Z and all of that. I feel like it's hard to segue into my quote, but <laughs> I do want to preface. The reason that I picked this quote is because I feel like when she wrote, you can feel her fury. And like, I was really impacted by that because there's all of these microaggressions that are happening to her throughout the whole book. And then I just liked that she was able to, to vocalize her fury to the person who was causing it. And so that is, I really liked it. So I do do need to give just a little synopsis of what's happening. So she's in, in a bar waiting for Jed, her soon to be husband to come and meet her. And this guy tries to pick her up and he happens to be Indian. And she's basically like, I'm waiting for someone. I'm meeting somebody and you know, I'm kind of off the market. She doesn't say that, but, but she's trying to give that, (laughs) just tell him nicely that to leave her alone basically. And he asks if the person that she's meeting is Indian, which is not his business. And, but she says, no, I mean, she's just so gracious through that whole thing. Um, She says, no, and he says American. And then 
He says something really terrible to her and says that she wants to be treated like a colonized bitch. And then she, this is my quote. This is what she says. Right. Because God forbid my falling in love isn't about your feelings. God forbid I become happy without the approval of some man who thinks being Indian gives him the right to decide what's best for me. God forbid I become someone else's colonized bitch instead of yours. And I just, I wanted to give a little cheer when she did that because (laughs) I mean, how dare, I I mean, like when he, that, when I was reading the the page where they were having the interaction, I, in my mind, I'm like, how dare he do that? And then she comes back with that. And I was like, woohoo, you know? So I just, I just, that just stuck out to me. And I just really liked that. I could feel her fury and that she was able to direct it at the person who was causing the fury, because I felt like so many times throughout the book, she was furious, but she didn't have, like, she felt like she couldn't vocalize that to the person like Brie or whomever. And so I was just really happy to see that, see that directed at the person that was causing it. That is a great moment. (laughs) I wanted to cheer too. (laughs) I just feel like there's so much we could discuss with this book. I mean, we are already to pairings and I feel like there are so many things that we haven't gotten to talk about, but I I know we can't have like a three hour podcast, but I just, I really want to reiterate to our listeners just how much is in this book and how complex it is, but how, I mean, it's just such a quick read and it, I mean, it is a great book. It is, it's one's a, one that is going to definitely stick with me for mm-hmm. a very long time. I'll put a plug in here for our book club chat on March 15th. So if you would like to join us, you could read this. It will not take you long at all. And then you can join us on Instagram. We have a a chat. So hopefully we'll get to delve into some of the things we haven't even touched in this episode. Yeah, I was thinking that I one we've really focused on kind of the present part of the book. And we haven't talked at all about how she explores what happened on 9-11 and being in New York and moving through and moving forward and watching how the country was changing around her and how that affected her as an Indian American. And so, yeah, I feel like there's so much there that we haven't talked about, but I think that it does such a great job of exploring those past layers. And also she explores her connection to her family in India and the a lot of her background of their judgment about her skin color and how that impact her, impacted her view of herself growing up. So I feel like she does this remarkable job of pulling these threads from the past and yet focusing also on what happened in the in the election season and then, you know, the moment of Trump being elected. And so I think she does that really well, just exploring the context and then leading up to that moment. Yeah. I really am looking forward to our book club chat about this because I think that, I mean, when we really haven't dug into the relationship with her in-laws and her relationship with her parents and her what happens with her dad. So, I mean, there's just so much. Oh, so definitely join in for our book club chat on Instagram. All right. So let's do our pairings. Ashley, do you want to start with your pairing? Sure. So I went with Craig Thompson's blankets. This is one I've talked about before, but it's been quite a while for the podcast. And it was one of the very first graphic it is a it is says it's a graphic novel. It reads a lot like a graphic memoir, but it's one of the first ones that I read. I borrowed it from Jen. She had recommended it. And graphic novels and memoirs are still pretty new for me. 
And I chose it because I think he also explores relationships really well and looks at an individual and then the way that all of these relationships with other people create and impact the the main character. And like I said, I mean, it reads a lot like a memoir, but I don't think he technically calls it that. But I think that the reason I wanted to choose it for a pairing is just that I think he also has a lot of introspection in the way that he writes, and he does a lot of self-analysis. And so you see that. And then also, I think there's a strong similarity in the sense that he does all of the drawing. He's a really phenomenal artist, so it's it's hand-drawn. But he does a nice job of telling the story through the art. And so I think in that way, it's really similar as well. So again, that's Craig Thompson's Blankets. I still need to read that one. Every time you talk about it, I think I need to read that because I think I'm fairly new to graphic novels as well. So like, that's not my go-to, but everyone that we've read for the podcast, I have adored. So that's right. I like his stuff. I read Carnet de Voyage of his as well. And that one was great too. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. Jen, what is your pairing? All right. So mine is not a graphic novel or a graphic memoir. I was really tempted. I have some others. Maybe I'll do a bookish fave. But I wanted to do James McBride's The Color of Water, a black man's tribute to his white mother. And this is James McBride, who is a fabulous novelist. But it is his memoir that alternates between his perspective and his mom's perspective. So she immigrated with her family from Poland to Virginia, Suffolk, Virginia, and experienced horrible abuse that McBride did not learn about the the full extent of until he was interviewing his mom for this book and ended up fleeing her family because of the abuse and marrying a black man who was McBride's father. And this was in, I think it was in the 50s. It may have verged into the 60s. I can't remember. It starts in the 50s, I mean. And so that is a time when that was not accepted. She was Jewish. And so she did face some discrimination because of that, but more because she was in this interracial relationship. And McBride, when he was a child, was trying to work through what it meant to be biracial in this time where that was not accepted. And the title comes from the fact he asked his mom what color God is. And she says that he's the color of water. So it's this beautiful moment where, yeah, I just, I think that's so nice. I think she just did such a good job when she wouldn't have had much support doing so helping him to understand his identity. He's one of like 14 kids and, Actually, his father died very early and she married another man who was also black and had more kids and dealt with the, you know, the same issues all over again. And she is so strong. She gets her kids through high school and college. Most of them are doctors and lawyers and dentists. McBride says he's sort of the black sheep of the family. He's this amazing jazz musician and this famous author who's won the Pulitzer and the National Book Award, but he's the black sheep of the family because (laughs) his brothers and sisters have these more conventional, successful jobs. I think what I love about this book so much is its empathy. And I think you can genuinely see McBride trying to figure out who his mom is, wanting to understand her. And so it's almost the opposite of what Jacob does in Good Talk. It's she is trying to figure out how to talk to her son about all of these things. Well, McBride is trying to figure out how 
his mom did that for him and to figure out what makes his mom tick and yeah, just to work through it. So I think they, they come from similar places, even though the perspectives are quite different. And again, I think just dealing with the fact that he has so many questions about his identity and race and religion makes it have a lot of similarities with Good Talk. So that is James McBride's memoir, The Color of Water. I love that one. Yeah, great that choice too. Thank you. All right, Sarah, what was your pick? My pick is one that we've actually covered on the podcast, so we can include the link in the show notes to that episode. And I think I've talked about it before, but I just felt like it was such a good match for good talk. And that is Jared Krasowska's Hey Kiddo. This is also a graphic memoir about Krasowska's childhood and his mom's struggle with addiction and then how that impacted his life. And I think what really stood out to me as, as to why it would be a good pairing for Good Talk is the, the impact of the visual graphics that are in Hey Kiddo. The graphics in Good Talk had a similar effect on me. Krasowska does all of his own artwork and we were fortunate enough to get to see him and get to hear him speak about creating the artwork, but also about his own personal story. And it was really impactful. And I just think that they would be a good match because they're just both so visually stunning, but also again, another author who is able to say so much with the visual and then just not that many words. And it is just great. And it is YA. So I think, I think it is YA through adult. I don't think that it's Mm -hmm. really something that you can classify, but I do think it would lean more toward YA readers than maybe good talk. Yeah. That's such a good pick. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I just love that book so much. And when I first read it and got it and I showed it to my mom and she was like, I want to read a comic book, you know? And I said, I just really think that you will like it. And she read it and I mean, she adored it too. So Mm -hmm. I just think that graphic memoirs are, I think it's because it's just so personal and with the visual part of it, I think it just makes it such an impactful read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I feel like that one too, he's really trying to reconcile the ways that his mom and other people mm-hmm. in his life have impacted him as a person. So there's yeah. a lot of that connection of he's looking at himself and who he is, but also the ways that all these important people in his life have positively and negatively shaped him. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. I don't think this is going to be much of a mystery. Let's do our bookish hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, do you want to start us off? All the bookish hearts. <laughs> yeah, I think we cap at five. So I will say five bookish hearts. Jen. Yep. Five. Absolutely. And it's a five for me too. So this one, this one I think is if you are trying to find a book that really will kind of impact you right in your heart and your guts, I think that you mm-hmm. should definitely consider getting this one. And it's one that I think that you'll want to revisit. I swear I'm not a paid advertiser for this book, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's just one that I think that I will want to revisit and it's one I'm going to definitely keep on my shelf. All right. We are going to end this episode the way that we end every episode and our give me one today is the first thing you plan to do when we can resume our normal quote, normal lives again. So basically when we are not staying at home all the time. Ashley, you want to start us? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It will surprise no one. 
my pick. I, <laughs> our family will be traveling whenever we are able to do that again. That's definitely something that we miss. Jen, how about you? So I feel obligated to say, of course, I want to see my friends and family, but also I want to go to the movies. I want to go to a movie theater and get a big bucket of popcorn and watch a movie, <laughs> please. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? Oh my gosh. Well, I do want to travel, but movies was also mine, Jen, but I will come up with, we didn't write these down today. We normally always have them written down. So I'm going to come up with one on the fly. I have to say, I have a pretty long list of things, actually. So. I know. <laughs> I think probably my sister and my friend, Noelle, we always, probably four to five times a year, we do something really fun and do a girls weekend and usually stay away from home a couple nights. And we have not gotten to do that. And we really haven't gotten to see each other much for a whole year, which has been difficult. We have done, you know, online stuff, but that's definitely not the same. So I think maybe mine would be to go away for the weekend with my sister and my friend Noel and get to do a girls weekend and just have a good time. And sometimes our idea of having a good time is ordering pizza and watching whatever we want to on TV because we're all moms and we never get to do that. So, so I think that would be one of mine. All right. I think we are ready to conclude today's episode. We want to remind you to head over to underbridgepod.com and check out all of the content we're putting out there. Thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnderbridgePod or on the web at underbridgepod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 